You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. In this episode of Dairy Voice, we're delighted to have David Jones join us from Stevenson, California. He and his family dairy there, and David also is the robotic, a robotic specialist and business development lead for De Laval North America. He covers the Western U.S., but has traveled nationally and probably internationally, too. He'll tell us about that. David, certainly want to welcome you to Dairy Voice, and uh, I'm looking forward to having you share your story with us. Yeah, likewise. No, thanks for having me, Joel. I, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to get to visit with you. You grew up on the dairy in California, Central Valley. Take us from there. Yeah, I sure did. So the um, our family actually began as a, as a turkey farm operation um, in the in the fifties. And my dad's dream was always to build a dairy farm and to develop that business. Uh, so in 1983, utilizing some outdated turkey facilities, he retrofitted those into freestall barns, um, which we are still using today. So those were built in 1970 um, and were remodeled in the nineties, uh, and then we're actually in the process of re- replacing those now. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of was a part of the dairy as soon as I was tall enough to reach the teats of a cow and worked with uh, the family before and after school throughout the time I was uh, in middle school and high school. And uh, yeah, after I, I graduated from Cal Poly in, uh, in the early 2010s, I uh, came back aboard after working in marketing and advertising and journalism for um, a couple of years. And ultimately, the uh, the call of the farm and, and of the cows and, and the management side kind of brought me back. So uh, I worked with my family full time managing the the dairy facility for five years. Ultimately, as we as our robotic project developed and gained some steam, um, I started working with Delaval as a re, as a robotic specialist. So I was able to take my experience as a manager of a robotic herd and uh, kind of use that as a a, a tool to help other folks in designing their futures and, and working with uh, developing what their farm was going to look like on the, on the other side of, of robotics. So that's kind of where we started and where I am today. And um, it's, it's been, it's been quite an interesting journey. And I mean, my first introduction into robotics was probably uh, during an internship 2008 or 2009 when uh, I was living in the Midwest. Uh, I was riding around with one of our, our route guides of the company I worked with. And uh, he wanted to take me to this robot facility. And I remember walking in and being very impressed with the facility. But ultimately, I just I was watching the technology at that time and thinking, you know, wow, we're we've got a ways to go. We're not quite there yet. I mean, it's it's interesting. um, And I there's there's so much to be learned here. And uh, and then lo and behold, in 2018, I I found myself as a, a robotic farmer. So. Uh, it's it's interesting the, the leaps and bounds that this industry has made in terms of technology and, and where we're headed. I mean, it's it's very exciting to be part of this uh, this niche, really. David, tell us uh, just a little bit about uh, the the dairy that you were operating with your family. Where were you at that point, and uh, what sort of scale were you operating on, and and where are you headed? We um, we're currently milking about 800 cows here in uh, in California. We we're, we're operating with a flat barn, so that like I mentioned in, in 1983, that's what we built, and it's a it's a very efficient barn. I mean, one cow in, one cow out, um, so you're not necessarily batch milking like you are in a parallel parlor. 
but the problem is in order to be efficient in that kind of a facility, you have to throw a lot of labor at it. So that barn, we can really move cows through it, but you're squatting down to the level of every single cow. And it's, it's, it's become a less and less enticing environment to, to work. And I get it. I mean, as somebody who did the relief shifts and, uh, you know, anytime we had a, a sick employee for, you know, for many years, uh, I can tell you I'm, I'm six foot two and trying to squat down to milk every single cow. It's, it's pretty hard on your body. And those are pretty um, much, and those are pretty much Holsteins too, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, we've we've got a, a handful of jerseys. You know, we, we bought a a load of jerseys a few years ago, and and um, thinking you know we were going to increase the butter fat in the tank a little bit, which we did, uh, and then they've they've kind of bred like rats, so we've got a whole bunch of them now. But yeah, they're they're big animals. We had a situation with with our labor force where you know half of our guys walked off on the same day. So at, at a time where I was um, helping to manage the employees. Um, all of my milkers, my relief milkers, my calf feeder all left the farm on the same day. And, and it was due to a, a payroll dispute that they essentially a misunderstanding. They all got overtime um, and were actually paid more, but they, the, the way that the hours are, are um, shown on their, their time sheet, um, they had regular pay hours in one column and then overtime hours in one column. So there, there was a misunderstanding there, which escalated, unfortunately, resulting in the loss of, of those employees. You know, at the time we had plans in at the county uh, for a parallel parlor because we knew we saw the writing on the wall. It was becoming harder and harder for us to to staff that facility, you know, and it, it was just becoming a headache that that we knew we needed to do something about. Ultimately, after, you know, we had that situation with, with the employees, um, we determined that it was probably in our best interest to start exploring options where we could reduce the number of employees on our facility. So that's that's what led us down the the path to to robotics. So I mean, we started at parallel, then we had some conversations about rotaries. When we looked at our dairy and knowing that those barns that were built in 1970 um, needed to be replaced, we knew we needed a milk, new milk harvesting solution. And so we're, we were essentially building a brand new dairy from the ground up in a, in a lot of respects. And with that, um, the cost difference for a dairy our size between building everything brand new, you know, a, a fully robotic freestall barn or building new freestall barns and, you know, a rotary or a parallel, the, the cost difference wasn't that great. And the way that we based our calculations um, based on some, some labor savings, uh, of course, increased milk production, and then, of course, all the, the other health benefits that come along with a more comfortable, productive herd. Um, and, and that's what we see a lot of times with robotics is just the stress level in those animals is, is significantly reduced. That's how we, we planned to make up the difference. Um, and so far, that's, that's been yielding some fruit for us. Dairy farmers know that the better they take care of their cows, the better their cows take care of them. And that's why we at Virtus Nutrition launched Energy 3 with Omega-3s, the healthy fat supplement that has many of the same fatty acids that are found in olive oil and salmon to help cows stay healthy and productive. Visit VirtusNutrition.com to learn more. That's V-I-R-T-U-S Nutrition.com. And you've brought some robots on board and you have more on the drawing board. Tell us how this uh, phasing in transition is going. <laughs> well, it's expensive because unfortunately we don't get to realize all of our, all of the labor savings until the, the project is completed. So at, we've always been very, very cautious people. And so the idea of doing something that many people would think of as a radical idea, and that's robotic milking and robotic dairy farming, 
we opted to slowly ease our way into it. So we started with two robots on a retrofit facility and we have since brought four more online. And then our last phase is a group of eight robots in a brand new freestyle barn that'll be taking the rest of the cows um, into our robotic operation. So we're operating essentially two separate facilities right now. We still have the flat barn operating and then we have our robotic strings. So because of that, we haven't been able to realize the, the full labor savings of the project, um, but we're, we're looking forward to the end of this year when those eight robots come online um, and then we're able to, to reduce our workforce and, and gain some efficiency that way. So we're, we're hoping to be at a point where we're, we're looking to reduce the, the staff by four. Um, so with all of our, our taxes and insurance and salary, um, that results in about a $260,000 um, per year savings for us. And you're still looking at the, basically the same herd size, or are you uh, incrementally increasing the number of cows that you milk? So it'll go up by about 150 to 200 cows by, by the end of it. And so that's, that's another thing that's going to help us to, um, to make the financial strokes. And, and then, you know, as far as a phase three goes, there's some ideas for it. Um, we're not ruling it out, but we're, we're also not talking about that at this point. So it's, uh, you know, my, my dad is, uh, is, is 62 and he's ready to light the world on fire. And he, I mean, he loves nothing more than, than work. It's his passion. It's his drive. Um, you know, but ultimately they're, they're starting to talk about, you know, what is their plan for retirement? How much longer do they want to be in the business? But this has definitely been um, a project that's kind of reinvigorated his love for the dairy industry and, and for, um, for herd management in particular. Let's talk about herd management and the cows uh, as you've moved into particularly the ones, of course, that are in the robotic facility. And perhaps you've got examples that you've seen in your travels too. But tell us um, uh, what, what's the management approach in, in a robotic environment? It's, it's very different, Joel. And um, I think that's honestly the biggest barrier to robotic milking is, is just shifting your own internal paradigms and, and ideas about cow management. And I, I mean, we're trying to train ourselves to be less interventionalist and to kind of back off and let the cows do their own thing. And it's, it's tough to train your mind to do that. I will say, you know, management is what makes milk. It's, it's not plopping a robot down and, um, you know, and then hope, walking away and hoping for the best. I mean, cows still need to be managed, but it's just a different form of management. So with our, our hands-off approach, um, you know, we have seen a, a significant reduction in the stress on these animals. And, and because of that, um, we tend to see, you know, anywhere between 12 and 15 pounds difference between our robotic cows that are milking and then our conventional herd as well. So um, it's kind of nice right now because I get to, to dig through the data and, um, and do a comparative analysis between, you know, the cows that were on our robots and then the cows that are running through our flat barn and, and kind of try to identify, you know, what are the reasons for these differences? And, and one of them in particular, Joel, is just you know, we're in the middle of the Central Valley, as, as you're well aware, um, our summers are pretty brutal. And so heat stress is, is something we're, we're always looking to mitigate. And we can have, you know, as much heat abatement as we want in our parlor, but it's still a very hot place for the cows. I mean, you're, you're still crowding an entire pen of cows into a, a holding pen waiting, you know, them, and then they're waiting to get milked. It's, it can be a pretty stressful situation in the summertime in particular. So 
I think that's where we've gotten a lot of our milk back because, you know, even adequately sized holding pens still have the, the potential to knock milk out of cows. Um, and depending on how aggressive guys can be with, with the crowd gate as well, we don't have one. Um, so that's one thing that, I mean, at least we're not mechanically squishing cows together, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's one thing that we, where we've seen a significant, uh, difference is the milk production. And I think part of that is, is just the holding pen, but, but because of that, you know, we're also seeing, um, higher preg rates in our robotic cows. We're seeing that we're using less, um, services per conception. We do have a bit higher days in milk on our robotic cows. I, I, that's partially because we've opted to extend our voluntary wait period for some of those animals, um, especially cows that get trained well and know the system and learn how to use the robot. All of a sudden, there's a, this intense demand to go. I mean, we have fresh cows that are going five times a day because uh, they figured out where the grain go, where the grain's at, and where we want them to have high visits when they're fresh for a number of reasons. Yeah, so because we know that those visits are going to drop off over time. So, you know, we get these cows to peak very fast to very high, um, and we just don't see much reason in, in trying to get a cow pregnant that's, you know, milking 130 pounds, 120 pounds, you know, up to, I mean, one of our, our high robot cows is at 160 pounds, which is wild to see. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's so much that goes into the strategy of, of managing. I presume uh, before robots in your flat barn, it was a twice a day milking routine, although I Actually, don't know no. that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we've, uh, we've historically milked four, three and two X. Okay. So our, um, all of our fresh cows for the first 10 to 14 days um, are getting milked four X. Um, then our high strings are getting milked three X and our, our tail enders are, are at two X. All through the flat barn. That's, that's, uh, yes. <laughs> that, that <laughs> is a, a cha- that's a challenging routine. Um, oh yeah, that that investment has more than paid for itself. I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what what is your average for the for your robotic cows? Uh, how often, on average, are they presenting themselves for the fresh cows to tail enders? So there's there's a pretty wide distribution, and it it averages out to be about two point seven milkings per cow joel. Mm-hmm. Um, our our fresh cows, and like I said, training is very important, making sure they get a good start. Uh, but our fresh cows, you know, four four times is not out of the ordinary to see. Um, I mean, it tends to range anywhere from you know three point five to to five in terms of the number of visits per day for our cows that are under ninety days in milk. And then from that, you know, ninety to one hundred and fifty day or so, or um, or even extend that out further, we still have cows that uh, that are pretty consistently at four x, uh, which we love. That, love for those cows to be visiting high because those are that's where um, our big bang for the buck is those are the cows that are giving us the most milk and then you know our, our tail enders we don't get too concerned if a cow that's a month out from dry off if she starts to to dry herself off uh, and, and only visit the robot you know one and a half to two times a day if, if she's given us you know 65 pounds 70 pounds we're not that concerned about it um, so it's it's just it's a it's a very different way of of managing because we're not all of our tail enders aren't getting milk two times a day. Some of them are you know 1.7, 1.8, but uh, but we do have cows that we've had to slow down too. If uh, we, we <laughs> one of our uh, this is one of our first experiences. I remember we after we started up the first phase, we we were kind of just in in running it mode and trying to get ourselves to learn the system. And and there's you'll learn where you have to start paying attention to things. And one of those that I wasn't watching was we were getting, there was a few cows in that string that were getting pretty close to dry off. Um, 
and one of them was at like 100 pounds still and we had two weeks before she was due to dry off so we had to okay now we got to think about a strategy for how we're going to safely um, and sustainably slow her down and so we've we've tried to to figure those things out too yeah that's kind of so the distribution it anywhere from five times a day to 1.5 i mean it's you want a good blend um, you kind of want a good distribution of days and milk so that you know your cows that are producing the most um, and are the most enticed to visit are are not taking away milkings or the the tail enders aren't taking milkings away from from those animals is our strategy sure uh, in addition to the milk quantity, what about milk quality and uh, uh, components? Uh, any any noticeable differences between your flat barn and robotic cows? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So as far as milk quality itself, it's been pretty similar. Our, our SCC and all of our other you know milk quality has been basically the same um, as our conventional herd. So we haven't had any noticeable difference. But what I will say is uh, we're still, I mean, we're two and a half years into this robotic project of ours. I'm excited to see what happens when we have cows that have only ever known robots and what that does for our somatic cell and our milk quality. Because my idea is that it's going to decrease even further. I mean, we run a pretty aggressive somatic cell as it is blended across the herd. Um, you know, we're, we're consistently under 150,000, usually lower than that. But I, I do think, you know, in the flat barn that we have, there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, unstable vacuum. And, and so I, there's also been some over milking. Um, that's one of the beauties of robotic milking is it's true quarter milking. We're removing the, the tea cups as that quarter is finished. And so we're preventing that over milking from occurring. Whereas, um, and there's quite a variability in the amount of milk that each quarter gives, as you'll find out when you start to dig into the system. In a conventional system, we're going to over milk certain quarters and certain teats. It's just a fact of, of how we collect milk today. So I'm really excited to see what that does to our, our milk quality in a couple of years when, when our whole herd has known nothing but robotics. I think it'll be pretty cool. Um, but as far as components are concerned, yeah, I mean, the, the risk is, Joel, um, you know, especially we're, we're operating a free flow facility. Um, our last phase is going to be guided flow. And uh, so I, I can kind of go through the differences between those two, yeah. but just hit the highlights uh, there. Yeah. So on, on free flow, your cows have access to feed water beds, the robots at any time. Um, so there's, there's virtually no restrictions and it's, it's a great way to manage cows, um, especially on, on a smaller scale. Uh, but you still have, you know, 10 to 15%, uh, five, well, anywhere from five to 15%, I guess, um, as you start to crowd those pens, your fetch rates are going to go up higher. So you have you have to fetch cows, but you also, to encourage visits, um, need to have a high level of grain that you're offering through the robot. So if you're not careful, what that can lead to is milk fat suppression. Um, so it's something that we really watch and we work with on our nutritionists. So, and I've seen it in a lot of free flow herds that I've worked with. Um, it's it's been a struggle is is making sure that we're getting enough you know fiber into the diet and um, to encourage that milk fat production. So that's something to watch out for, but we've, we've got it in a, um, in a good balance right now. We're, we're running a, a 4% fat, which we're, we're stoked about, and that's good. On a guided flow facility now, um, the reason that I like it is now you start to think of, you, you segment the barn out into three sections. So you have your rest area, which is separate from your feed area, which is separate from the milk area. So when a cow gets up from her bed, uh, and this is the milk first guided, 
um, a cow gets up from her bed, she's gonna go to the end of the barn where she passes through a smart gate, which reads the RFID tag in her ear. And the computer system is gonna either tell her, okay, um, you need to get milked before you go eat, or nope, you're not ready to get milked, go ahead and pass straight through to the feed lane. So that's all, that's really the only difference is we've just added a little bit more structure to the cow's day. So instead of just, you know, getting up and being able to go wherever she wants, we just add another step to that. So when she gets up to get to feed, she has to go through this gate. Because of that, because there's more structure, we don't have to feed quite so much grain through the robot. So the lowest I've ever seen is probably at Fair Oaks Farms in Indiana, they're feeding um, under three pounds per day per cow um, on a guided flow system, which is, yeah, which is by far the lowest I've seen. I tend to see somewhere between five and seven on a fully milk first guided, um, but it's, it's neat to see a herd like Fair Oaks having such success with that low of a number. Um, and they're virtually fetching no cows at all, um, which is mind boggling and, and pulling today 95 pounds of milk. And then, uh, but on a free flow system, for example, so like on our, our first phase, um, we tend to average somewhere between 12 and 13 pounds of grain. So when you extrapolate that out, it tends to be a more expensive system to run because now we're paying for the pelletizing of that feed, uh, which has a higher cost per ton. Uh, and then typically free flow barns tend to require a little bit more labor for fetching. So as you start to break out the economics, it's important to you, know, you have to take into account what's the capital cost of the project, um, what are our running costs, what's, what's this going to take, a realistic number in terms of staffing. I, as somebody who has operated, I will say I've been in a lot of conversations with folks who have theories on how many people robotic facilities are going to take. And I would just say when you're making your estimates, think very conservatively, budget more people than you think you might need, because I don't think labor pays for this whole project. It's not the only return that you have to think about. Let's circle back to the uh, return uh, calculations in a moment, but I'm still interested in your feeding program. Obviously, with two different herd setups, uh, the flat barn group and the robotic group, uh, is your TMR, uh, does that have to be different? Are you dealing with two different TMRs, or in effect, is the grain in the, in the robot uh, kind of a top dress situation? I realize it's not yeah. top dress, but it's, it's um, obviously sure. not, not in the TMR. Right. Well, we are, yeah, we're operating with two separate TMRs right now. And, and, and really in a robotic herd, um, we've kind of shifted the language to be a PMR. So a partially mixed ration um, because we're removing some of the energy from, um, from the bunk and, and feeding that through the robots. So yep, yep. really, really the, the biggest cost difference uh, between a, a TMR and a PMR is just the cost of pelleting that, that grain. And, you know, if, if you have a special formula that can cost more than, than a standard formula or standard mix too. So there are some, some herds that I work with that are feeding corn gluten. So they're, it's just a, a cheap uh, way to get cows to the robot. It's very palatable, but doesn't offer a whole lot extra in terms of nutrition. And then there's the competing ideology that we feed a more complete pellet at the robot, which can give us a little bit more nutrition, a little bit more bang for our buck, but it is more expensive. Yeah. I'm going to butt in here. Did, did your nutritionist then have to kind of learn along with you or did he or she have some experience uh, in other herds where you had these issues? Yeah, that's, that, this is kind of the new frontier for, for nutritionists is figuring out how to feed um, for robotic herds. Um, and even today, there, there's a lot of different competing thoughts and beliefs on, on what, what's the most efficient way, what's the most cost-effective way. So um, our, our nutritionist 
Um, he's an independent guy, Todd Schwigel. He's, he's awesome to work with. He had to work with, you know, the, the top guys at, at De Laval, which is the, the company that we, we work with for our robotic project. He worked with Dr. Mike Brook out of K-State, um, who has a ton of experience in formulating rations for robotic herds. And then, yeah, has just been working with other nutritionists across the country who have experience to develop um, a feeding strategy. So he's had a big job as well and a steep learning curve, but he's been up to the challenge and, and has got it figured out in a way that's really been working for us. So um, we're, we're really lucky to have him as a partner in that. That's great. But obviously something to consider when you're uh, making plans. Completely. Yeah. You will have to change your feeding strategy. I mean, it's... Um, you may not change exactly what's there and what the cows are being fed in terms of its contents, but, uh, but you will have to think, you know, about how to offer it differently. Well, David, based on what you and your family have learned and, and experienced with your transition in your work uh, with De Laval, as you work with other herds, just give us a thumbnail of, uh, some of the issues that you were that that folks need to think about uh, as they begin to make this kind of decision, or at least consider it. You know, I, I think it's it's really important to not enter this decision lightly. I think you got to do your homework. I think you got to go and meet with people and talk with people who are running these systems and ask them tough questions. Because the fact of the matter is, I don't think that this management strategy works for every single farm, and it it definitely you know there's there's a lot of variability in, in uh, you know, in the types of people who can make this system work, but it may not be a great fit. So I, I do think it's really important to ask those questions to determine, um, you know, to spend a lot of time on these farms and, and really ask yourself, you know, is this, am I painting an accurate picture of what life is going to look like after, you know, after we get these things up and running? And so for us, it's been great, um, you know, for, for the family, it's, it's shifted our focus from being employee centric to back to being herd centric because we're managing less people overall, or, or I should say my family's managing less people overall. And, uh, you know, that's always been a, a source of stress for us is just the number of people that, that we, we have to, you know, provide directives to every single day. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's just been tougher and tougher. And we know consistently year over year, labor has been the one cost um, that continues to increase. So, um, for us and for our style, um, it's it's really been a great fit, but I don't think that it works for everybody. So um, I just think you got to do your homework, ask a lot of questions, visit a lot of farms, and and paint the, a, a realistic reality of, of what it's going to look like. Because robots don't solve all of your problems, but I think it's important to define what your problems are and make sure that that aligns with the robotic system. Well, David, I appreciate your thoughts here. The time has kind of flown by, but we're we have to wind down this discussion. As we uh, publicize uh, this episode, are you okay with us including your contact information so that if folks do have some questions and, and want to talk further with you, they can reach out to you? Oh, of course. I love that. That's my job. Uh, <laughs> I love working <laughs> with people and, and helping design, design these systems. So please reach out. Feel free to, yeah, to, to touch base and I uh, would love to visit. And your email, I think, is david.jones at dlaval.com. Well, we're speaking today with David Jones, who's a dairy producer in Central California and also a robotic specialist with De Laval North America. We've heard a little bit about how the transition worked on his farm and some of the things that he and his family have learned and, and he applies to his work. David, thank you very much for being with us. Of course. Thank you, Joel. Great visiting with you. This is Joel Hastings for Dairy Voice at dairybusiness.com.